Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Dorothy Day, who lived from 1897 to 1980, was a controversial woman. She was a communist activist who became a Roman Catholic. Her life story is a testimony of what it is to be a doer of the word. She suffered a great deal for acting according to gospel principles. In her youth, she was active in the communist socialist movement, fighting for the working poor. And this was during the Great Depression before the world had seen the great evils of communist dictatorships. She became pregnant just around the time of her conversion. Now her partner, as many involved in the communist movement, did not believe in marriage. As they saw it, it restricted freedom. Now if Dorothy was to become a Christian, they would have to get married. Now they did love each other very, very much. And he didn't interfere with her Christianity, but he was not willing to compromise on his values. So in Dorothy's own words, she said, this was a choice between God and man. She couldn't have both. So she left him and became a single mother. Her heart was broken because she loved him very, very much and it was a struggle for her to let go of the idea that he would want to marry her. So she chose to take heed to God's word and commandment, leaving a relationship which would have caused sin, and she was baptized along with her baby. This was a devastating choice for her, but in it she found a greater love in Jesus. In her life, her lively conscience could not stand to see the sufferings of the working poor. She saw the communists doing more to relieve them and to help their cause than the church. How could Christians claim to follow Christ and not follow his example and teachings? To make a long story short, she founded the Catholic Worker Movement, which published a newspaper aimed towards the poor and marginalized to show them that the church was there for them. And the Catholic Worker Movement founded um, houses of hospitality and Catholic farming communes to show them that manual labor is important. And of course, she was seen as irresponsible and foolish going ahead with plans without funding, having sympathy for communists, and so on. She angered both conservatives and progressives. Her traditional expression of faith and her radical activism didn't seem to go together. People in the church were willing to engage in works of charity, 
but they weren't willing to commit themselves to the poor, the working class people. And Dorothy's example made people feel uncomfortable, having them face their own hypocrisy. For Dorothy Day, it was all about Christ, and loving Christ's presence in the least. And this came with sacrifice. For example, the Catholic worker movement viewed the government, government assistance to the poor as a weak answer, which I think was in response to the communist and socialist approach because it removed the Christian's personal responsibility to serving the poor and needy. It's basic that charity needs to have charity. It needs to have love. She felt that it was a better endeavor for the church to involve themselves personally in charity rather than assume the government would help, as the government was part of the problem. There's more to just talking and having an opinion. She actually took personal responsibility and action, so much that in her activism, she was jailed numerous times, even as an old woman. So I'm telling you about Dorothy Day because I just finished writing a paper for school about her, and because she is a relevant example of what it is to be a doer of the word. Today, people are inspired at her story, but I don't think many realize that she is more than just a social justice activist. It's much deeper, because she took the heroic demands of the gospel to heart. So in these days, I wonder a lot about what it means to be a doer of the word. I think it's a heavy statement that God is serious about what he has said. And I worry because it seems that there is an apathy in the Christian church as a whole. There is a lot of pain and suffering, a lot of wrong all around us, and the general attitude doesn't seem to acknowledge it. It never goes beyond to say, isn't that awful? And I fear that we, myself included, are too willing to turn a blind eye to the suffering and not wanting to acknowledge either my own compliance in it or to take responsibility to respond in action. There is an unwillingness to make sacrifice and to suffer for what is right. And I suspect this is because there's too much love of the world and the church as a whole has not kept herself unspotted from the world. James uses the image of looking at yourself in a mirror, going away forgetting what you saw. Thinking about the purpose of a mirror, you're looking to see yourself if there's something wrong. Is there something in my teeth? Is my hair a mess? Is there dirt on my face? And what do I do if I see something? I wash my face, I brush my hair, I brush my teeth. I observe something and I do something about it. Now, I could walk away from the mirror and think, there's nothing wrong with me, there's nothing in my teeth. But this doesn't stop the fact of the thing that is in my teeth and grossing people out. It's a delusion. 
So this is the image of hearing God's word. He tells us a lot about our state, of who we are, that we are a mess, and that there's something to do about it. Just like picking the stuff out of your teeth or combing the nests out of your hair, there's something to be done when you realize that there's something wrong. And it's a continual work to be done, a continual meditation on God's law of liberty. There's an outcome to be had. Now, most people will not be like Dorothy Day founding radical homeless shelters, but everyday life presents itself with heroic demands. If we look at what comes just before the appointed text for the epistle, there is a call to an equally difficult task, which is, which has no excuse for a Christian to neglect. Let me read it from James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Then it continues with the reading we read from the prayer book. Here we have two examples of simple responses of action to God's word. First, being swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Let's say, be ready to listen, careful to speak, and slow to become angry. This simple equation would result in less controversy and hatred. Listening to people, even the ones you disagree with can't and can't stand, will show you that they are equal human beings, that no one is better than another. Slow to speak means I don't always need to be right. I don't always need to be the center of attention. And that I don't always need to argue or give my solutions. Said that God gave us two ears and one mouth because we need to do more listening than speaking. And slow to anger. Human anger is often unbalanced and, mis and misled. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So let's work to control this. And if we all sought the Lord's help in practicing this work, we just made the world a better place. If the world did not, if the world did this, most of the major problems would find a resolution. And we wouldn't, we would reach, we're not going to reach this reality in this life, but we can start. And another difficulty, a difficult work mentioned is laying aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, which a clear translation says, laying aside our moral filth and excess of evil which is simply self-examination and self-control, letting go of the things that don't belong, which is a lifelong work. Jesus will continue to call us to repentance and change, and we'll have to continue to let go of evil things we love 
and it will cause pain, but it will be for a better gain. So developing self-control and a lack of self-control contributes to this vain religion which James was speaking about in the epistle. And also in this epistle, James is saying, true religion is to visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions and to be kept unspotted from the world. Here's an honest question to which I do not have an answer. What are we supposed to do if visiting the fatherless and widows is not allowed? What are we supposed to do if visiting the fatherless and widows in their affliction is not allowed? I don't have an answer to this, but I think it's a serious question to consider. Undefiled true religion is to do these things. Therefore, to not do these things is to have a defiled and vain religion. Moving on to the next idea, being kept unspotted from the world. This is another difficult thing. The world is always wanting to taint and pervert a Christian. And the world is as a mass of people pursuing the flesh, pursuing the desires of broken human nature. I see it as a force of peer pressure from the greater humanity. Just like the kid pressured to smoke a cigarette or something because their friends think it's cool, so is the Christian in the allurements of the world. The born-again person pursues to have the mind of Christ, to pursue Christian character and virtue. It is a unique worldview and a way of being, and the world has its own opposing worldview and way of being. Let us take, for example, the simple concept of love. Christians are in fact defined by love, for Christ says, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love to another. The world says, great, we love love. We're all about love. Then the world will subtly define love in such a way that it looks like love as Christ had defined it, but in fact it is not. We must not confuse the two. I think about Dorothy Day leaving the love of her life in obedience to her Lord. The world would see this action as a cult-like sort of thing, that you should be able to be free to love who you want and how you want, and that nobody should tell you otherwise. Well, in her own experience, she found deeper love through this, which the world would think as foolish. Anyway, to present that the world has its way and Christ has his way, that they may be on the surface similar things, but they are quite different. And I just want to connect with the final statement of Jesus in today's Gospel reading that in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And Christ says in other places that the world will hate you because it hated me. 
A follower of Christ's way will experience tribulation, trouble in the world, persecution. Undefiled religion comes at a cost, a real effort, a real sacrifice. And the great saints from the past were not all well liked in their day. I don't want to say, but it seems like if we are doing Christianity right, people will not like us. The world will hate us. And this doesn't mean to have a martyrdom complex that if somebody hates you means you're doing the right thing. Yet, it, yet true love would, would cause intrigue in someone with an honest soul. Christ will be attractive to the person who looks beyond the world even if they are in the world. And to take our own Lord's example, who loved to the point of a disgusting and shameful death on the cross. He endured the lowest possible punishment for the sake of love and obedience to the word of his Father. Because of love, he did this. And if the Lord and Master endured such a thing, why would we as his servants expect anything less? So I ask myself and I ask you to consider our own apathy, our own willingness to conform to the world. Why do we expect to live a comfortable and effortless life? And how will this affect our Christian love? And how shall we actually act this love? So I leave you with these considerations. How can we be doers of the word in real and concrete ways, regardless of the consequences? Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, let us be as our Savior willing to love even until death, willing to love even if it costs everything. Let us not consider what it is to consider the world, but to consider you and you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.